This episode has been brought to you in part by the Toronto Heschel School. You are invited to attend their open house on November 10th to discover what makes Heschel special. Visit torontoheschel.org for more details. That's Toronto, H-E-S-C-H-E-L dot org. Shalom. Welcome to Rivkus, a CJN podcast featuring conversations with Jews of color discussing all things Jewish. I am so pleased today to have a very special guest coming from Israel, and his name is David Ben Moshe. David, David, Black, ex-con, Jew, Zionist, writer, speaker, and fitness coach. And I gotta say, first of all, absolute welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And, uh, thank you for having me. And as I was like jotting down the bio, I'm thinking, wow, it's like, He's black. Yes, got that. Ex-con, got that. <laughs> Fitness coach. Okay. <laughs> Social justice is actually kind of cool. Lots for yeah. us to unpack. Lots for us to unpack. So your name first came across my radar in relation to what you're going through in Israel and the whole Mizrad Hapnim and all that stuff. So we're going to delve into that, but I want to take a step back and I want to talk about, because you make it very clear, ex-con. So I want to talk a little bit about that. In particular, I ran across an article that mentioned how you feel about cancel culture, especially in relation to ex-cons. Tell me about all of that. What yeah. happened? What happened, my man? What happened? So... <laughs> I grew up in rural Maryland and in a predominantly white area in the country. Like literally the house I grew up in, if you look out of the window, you look right into cornfields. Dang. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Got the visual. <laughs> <laughs> My parents are devout Christians. Christianity kind of never set well with me. So I kind of like did the thing you do with your parents until I got older and eventually fell out of it. So went to college, had a terrible experience, ended up dropping out, kind of had a break of my family and needed a way to support myself. And it turns out that in America, when you're black, there's a very easy way to support yourself, which you get pulled into very easily. One of the things I found during my short time at college was that people would just ask to buy drugs for me because of how I looked. And on the wow. other hand, you go to certain parts of the city, people just offer to sell drugs to me because they can trust me because of the color of my skin. So I fell into doing that to support myself, which eventually got me in federal prison. Dang. And in federal prison, I had a life-changing experience. There are two things that really happened to me in federal prison that altered the outcome of my life. One was I found Judaism. Mm -hmm. And second, I learned how to like sit down and force myself to study and learn, which I always struggled with. Like I'm diagnosed with ADHD. I never did well in school growing up. And with those two things, I was released and managed to get a job as a personal trainer. Can I ask you a question? Yeah, I, go for I, it. I, so you, when you said you found Judaism, how? So the way it happened was like this. One day I'm sitting in the library reading something and the compound is locked down. So no one can move for whatever reason. Everyone's stuck where they are. We have no idea how we're going to be there when we can leave. And time just keeps passing. And this ended up being a very long lockdown, hours. After a few hours, I'm like restless. I stand up, I walk around like everyone else is restless too. And I see this guy sitting in the corner, kind of sitting, reading quietly, not being bothered. Sit back down, some more time passes, same thing happens. And like I walk by him and see that he's reading something in a language that I don't understand. And I was bored, so I figured I'd ask him what he was reading. And he told me that it was Hebrew and he was reading the Bible. Wow. And then I asked him a follow-up question. 
And this follow-up question is where everything changed for me. I said, what are those little text boxes at the bottom of the page that you're reading? And he explained to me the idea of Parshanut, different commentators explaining the Torah. They're basically like, yeah, this person says it means this. This person says it means this. This person came after this guy and says, ignore him. He has no idea what he's talking about. It really means this. And it's just for all the verses, they've got different explanations. And he told me how it's like a normal Jewish way of studying the text. And I'd never experienced that type of attitude towards a holy book. Like the general way you approach a holy, holy book is it says this, it means this. And Christianity, you can believe it or you can go to hell. Yeah, he's, <laughs> wow, <laughs> that's as black and white as you can get. So I, so what you're saying is the fact that it, it involved almost like critical thinking and that, that there were so many opinions and you could discuss and it wasn't so arbitrary, like you said, obey or die, kind of, you yeah. know? <laughs> so I, it was okay. much more like a discussion. Yeah. Like here are a bunch of different options it can mean. And now we can try to figure out, see the different opinions, hold on to them for generations and have value in different opinions on a subject, even if that subject is the subject of religion and who negotiates on religion. Wow. That's, and that's what did it. Yep. And then I started learning more about Judaism and studying it and eventually came to the conclusion that this is for me. Awesome. And, and how many years ago is that now? This so that a- would have been like 2011. It's quite some time. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So now you're, you're, a, you're a black Jew in America. Yep. A black, sorry, let me rephrase that. Black Jewish ex-con in America. <laughs> so now, where do you go from there? And, and how did, if it did, the cancel culture, even though that's kind of a new term that people are using, but we know what we're talking about. How did that affect your journey? So kind of, that's a good time to reference the article I wrote for Newsweek about cancel culture, because I'm very critical of cancel culture. And here is why. I know exactly what it's like to have done something wrong and then to be punished for it for the rest of your life. You'll notice my bio, I often put XCON in little brackets. I did notice that. And that is the highlight that despite the fact that I served my sentence and was relieved early for good behavior, and despite the fact I was lit off supervised release, which is the federal equivalent of probation, early for good behavior, and I've got no other incidents on my record, and I've even worked for the police station, and it's been well over 10 years, every day I'm still being punished for the crimes that I committed, and society just won't let me move past it into having a normal life. People have this idea that, you know, you exit out the doors and you just get your freedom back and everything's normal. But the truth is just the punishment never ends, which is one of the reasons why recidivism in the United States is so atrociously high. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. As soon as you said that, I thought recidivism. that that word came to my mind too. Mm. It's like you're not, you know, it really prisons really just become a a place to house people. There is no concept of after that of helping people rebuild their lives. Hundred percent punitive and zero percent rehabilitative. Exactly. Which is a problem because what we want is less crime and putting a bunch of criminals together and turning them into hardened criminals and doing nothing to help them get their lives together or be successful is a recipe for disaster when they're released. 100%, 100%. And with cancel culture specifically, they see people who make mistakes. Some of them are real mistakes. Some of them are just made up mistakes for like they said the wrong thing. Someone's Mm -hmm. daughter put a tweet out when they were a teenager, they're going to punish them for that. 
and they're jumping on these people and making it impossible for them to have livelihoods, impossible for them to say, I'm sorry, impossible for them to move on from it. And I know what that's like after having a criminal record. And especially the people who are claiming to do this in the name of social justice and helping the oppressed are spending all of this energy doing that. Meanwhile, there's still millions of Black Americans in prison for drug crimes who can't get a job or work after they're out. They're stigmatized for the rest of their life. And no one's fighting to improve their lives. They're instead too concerned about microaggressions you know, in their college classroom of like, oh, what the teacher said or so what someone said on Twitter. And they're not trying to fix these real injustices that we yeah. have to fight for. And they're just fighting these meaningless battles and making them into everything while allowing gross injustices to just keep on being perpetuated. Oh, wow. Do you think part of it has to do with the ego of these, um, I'm going to use that term, these social justice warriors, where, you know, it puts them at the forefront when they say, look, I busted, you know, Lemonade Karen or whoever the heck it is, is the person of the week. And as opposed to putting the focus on, like you said, improving the con improving the conditions of the incarcerated improving the conditions when they when they leave incarceration and putting your energies into somebody else do, 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 am i making sense like is I, the spotlight not on them but on yeah. you were gonna say I think that that is true for some of them, mm -hmm. but I don't think it's true for most of them. Okay. I think for the most part, we have people who can clearly see that there's something wrong with the world and want to make it a better place. Okay. But they don't know how. They're kind of stuck in their bubble and the people that they see who take, who talk the talk of taking these different things seriously, but aren't actually walking the walk, have convinced them that this is the fight that needs to be fought. And mm -hmm. so they're just following. Gotcha. That's a different perspective. Okay. You've kind of opened up my eyes a little. Maybe I won't be so hardcore. <laughs> hardcore judgy. <laughs> And, oh, and a lot of it comes from this bubble phenomena that we see in our first world countries with the internet and how so many populations have self-segregated themselves over the last few generations. Just if you think of, you know, someone who grew up and never really interacted with people who have these struggles. They've seen them on TV and the news, and then they're supposed to go to college to open up their eyes, and they're just surrounded by a bunch more people like them. And a couple wow. of people saying, this is how we fight. Like they haven't had the opportunity to live life and have the interactions to see what's going on. And the way the media shows it is they're not really portray they kind of pick things based on you no know, ratings mm -hmm. and what sells yeah like one of the things about my story that was so painful is probably the worst example of the punishment that i still maybe not the worst because the israel one's also very bad but another really bad one was my first attempt at grad school where, you know, after being released from prison, working as a personal trainer, I decided to become a physical therapist. Mm -hmm. I managed to get into undergraduate. I was a straight A student nice. while running my own business and doing multiple community service projects, including being a consultant for the SWAT team for the Baltimore Police Department. Wow. You're an but overachiever. In, yeah. <laughs> Maybe a little bit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then was accepted to two physical therapy schools. I picked the University of Florida. I marked on my application on a criminal record because they asked me, and as the law required, I told them, and they still chose to accept me. Despite the fact they accepted me knowing I had a criminal record, a few weeks after I picked them and turned down the other school, they started asking me like these weird questions, like, please give us your name, your social security number, like things that I knew they already had. Eventually, I called them up and said, like, what's up? 
Yeah. And like I had to drag it out of them because they weren't up for it at all. They're saying, oh, well, you're applying to the university. And so I explained like, no, like I've been accepted. I can send you my acceptance letter. Like that's done. They say, no, 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 no. What happens is you were accepted into the graduate school. And the way things work around here is that if you're accepted into the graduate school, you're automatically enrolled in the university unless you have a criminal record. Then you have to apply to the university as well. And if the university doesn't accept you, you can't register for classes. To which I replied, like, you sent me an acceptance letter. It clearly states all the things I need to do to enroll in the fall. This is not mentioned anywhere on it. It's nowhere public on your website. Like, this would have affected which school I chose if you told me this. And they told me, it's policy. There's nothing we can do. I call BS. I talked to some lawyers, and they basically told me, like, look, this is inconvenient. They're making you jump through these hoops, but look at your resume. And it's a public university. You're attending another public university. There's no way you're not attending. So I gave my second application with more letters of reference. And then they told me that, okay, we'll respond to you on a rolling basis. And then I had to drag out of them, like, what does that mean? And what they told me was a rolling basis means that our policy is once you get this application, we're not obligated to answer you in any time frame. You'll hear back from us when we feel like answering you. Wow. It usually takes a week, but there's no timeline we have to follow. It ended up taking three months, which were three of the most painful months of oh, my David, life. Oh, David, come on. And in the end, they ruled me ineligible to register for classes at the last okay. moment. Okay, 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 okay. No, here, here, this is what I don't understand. It is not a job, okay? Going right. to university, is, you're not applying for a job at, say, at a bank, at a synagogue, whatever. You're not applying for a job. You are applying to go to a public school to educate for education that you will, in essence, be paying for, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't, I don't understand what your criminal record status has to do with anything. I mean, they could say, well, you know, to be, let's say you're going for law. They could say, well, you can still get into law school. Let's say if it was in Canada, you could still get into law school with a criminal record. Your problem would be when you apply to the law society to practice, but that's not the school's problem. That's your own problem when you graduate. So how the heck can they say, how can this be cool? Because it is legal to discriminate against people with a criminal record for any reason, and we have no recourse. Wow. You just and like, that's wow. just how the system is built. And then you wonder that it goes back to, it goes back to cancer, like you said, cancel culture. It goes back to increased rates of recidivism, because here you are trying to get into school. Okay, so continue with the story. How did it, because... Yeah. You didn't stop at that. And then I came to Israel because, I mean, what was I supposed to do then? That is okay. when my dream of becoming a physical therapist ended. Wow. So was that the only factor in moving to Israel? Because moving anywhere is a big deal. <laughs> moving to Israel. <laughs> I've spent a lot of time in Israel. A lot of people think, oh, let's go to Israel. Land of milk and honey. It'll be a cakewalk. Uh, socialized uh. medicine. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Woo. And then they get there and they're like, what? What do you mean it's going to cost me 10,000 shkalim to have an apartment? What do you mean? <laughs> and it's like, oh, and you see it on their faces. And it's like, oh, I'm trying to, what do you mean? Like, oh, my favorite, I digress, but my favorite was the, the, the shock of a trying to get on the bus, not to find yeah. the bus station. No, that, not that, to, you have to fight. Okay, David, I missed three buses at the Jerusalem bus station <laughs> because I was being all Canadian polite. And then yeah, finally you, you I was like, elbows. oh, elbows went up, <laughs> elbows went up. And I was like, I don't care if you're 80 years old because you would take me out anyways. Yeah. <laughs> and I and all I learned was elbows up and just this, slicha, slicha, as, yeah. I, as I took them down and got on my bus. <laughs> Yeah. So it is. It's it's not the it's not it's not the first choice a lot of people make when they say I want to move to another country. So aside <laughs> from the school thing, what else drew you? Like so earlier before the saga, I'd done a birthright trip. Okay. And on birthright, I had an amazing experience. I really connected to the land. 
and could feel that one day that like this would be my home. Hold on, Devi. Do you mean you didn't just party, party, party? Uh, I partied a little bit. Because I, I, I can see you. The audience can't see you. I can see you. So look at me in the eyes and tell me you didn't party on me. <laughs> yeah, I partied a little bit. Okay, okay, okay. Continue. Yeah. And I just figured that I had this like big dream of what I was going to do in physical therapy. And that dream was one of the things I was convicted of was distribution of oxycodone. And I kind of seen firsthand what prescription painkillers were doing to our society. And I wanted to use physical therapy as an avenue to lower the amount of people who needed prescription painkillers and therefore make an impact on the opioid epidemic, which is ravaging America. Oh my gosh, David, that is how you do. You don't punish on the other end. You find the solution to what is causing the problem. Yes. Dang. Yeah. Continue. Ugh. And then I figured that I would do this dream and one day I would retire and go to Israel. But then when that dream was taken away from me, I thought and I prayed and I thought, you know, I think this is Hashem telling me that oh, I should go to Israel right now. Mm -hmm. So I um, talked to my rabbi and said, I'm moving to Israel. And he said, great, don't go quite yet. Oh, and what he said was, it's great to have a moving experience on birthright and fall in love with the country, but you need to like go spend some unstructured time there first to make sure it's right for you because <laughs> get on the bus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I scheduled a two month pilot trip where I would study in Yeshiva at a place called Pardes for a month. And then spend okay. like a month traveling around the country yeah. and then make my final decision. Beautiful. I love studying. Mm -hmm. I ended up getting a fellowship to stay, a social justice fellowship, actually, to stay at the year program as well. And I met this really nice girl and we kind of started dating. Uh-huh. So that turned into staying for the year program. Uh-huh. Which turned into getting engaged. Uh-huh. Which turned into now we have two wonderful children. Yes. Gorgeous, beautiful little angels. I've because I, I do lurk on your page and I look at the pictures <laughs> of your little ones and watch them interacting with their Abba. It's awesome. Wow. What a journey. Yeah. What a journey. So that naturally leads us to what's going on now. Yeah. So, you know, for I know bits and pieces of this of your of your story. I remember the first time I read it, I actually felt it actually I felt a almost like a pit in my stomach, you know, having spent some time in Israel. Let me tell you, having to deal with any of the Mizrat Hapanim, oh. I, 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 I was like, oh, man. And I just dealt with them on a simple matter as I bounced from Beersheba to Jerusalem to this one to that one and thinking and having questions asked of me. And I wasn't making Aliyah. I was there tourist. And I'll never forget, David, the one question that was asked of me in Beersheba when I went to renew to renew my tourist visa, which is not supposed to be an issue. Okay. No, it's supposed to be like an automatic thing. You know, it's like, hey. Yeah. And I like said, everyone oh. with American passport. Well, I'm Canadian. So even more oh, so. Yeah. Even more yeah. so. Let me tell you, even yeah. more no. so. Okay. <laughs> so then I'll never forget going to, first of all, being bounced around the Mizrad happening, like, oh, go here. Oh, go here. Oh, go here. And I was like, wow, really? Finally got to the right spot. And then I said, okay. I said, I, you know, I filled out the form. I said, I'd like to, oh, um, are you Jewish? I'm like, what? Are you Jewish? And I looked at her and I said, I'm a tourist. I said, my tourist visa is not based on religion. <laughs> I said, it doesn't matter if I'm Jewish, Christian, Buddhist, atheist. It's not part of a tourist visa. <laughs> right? Oh, she was yeah, correct. He was insistent and refused refused. And I was like, okay. So I went to Jerusalem and I said the same thing to Jerusalem. And the candid person in Jerusalem said, well, you know why? And I was like, what? Well, you know why? I was like, I do now. Thank you. But it was a, it was a battle and a half. And it was because I didn't present as 
what they expected. But nonetheless, you tell me, you tell me, you tell us your story because I'm sorry, uh, my heart still hurts for what you are going through. So start from the beginning. Start from the beginning, my friend. Okay. So I was studying for a year on a student visa. And as my student visa came to a close, I went in to apply for Aliyah. So Aliyah is the right of all Jews on the planet. Orthodox, conservative, reform, born Jewish, completely disconnected, ultra-Orthodox, converts, kind of it is explicitly in the law, just you're Jewish, this is your home. Precisely. So I applied. And I consulted with a lawyer because by this time I learned that, you know, oh, this whole criminal record thing makes everything in life more difficult. Mm -hmm. And there is a clause that says if your criminal record, actually it says criminal history, means that the Minister of the Interior thinks you endanger public welfare, they can deny you Aliyah. Right. The criminal history in that record part is important because as I understand it from the reporter at the Jerusalem Post, the only person who has ever been denied Aliyah based on the statute was the mobster Mayor Lansky mm-hmm. before he was convicted of any Exactly. <laughs> exactly, because exactly. we know yeah. of recent people who have made Aliyah whose criminal history is known internationally, and that would be Jonathan Pollard. And there is a recurring problem that Israel often comes up with with pedophiles in the country. The person they finally deported. Yep. Finally (sighs) deported. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, like contrasting how she was treated and how I was treated is like a very interesting way to look at the situation. Sure. And for those of uh, for those who don't know, just Google and make sure there are images that pop up with the Google and you'll see what we're talking about. Mm. Also, continue, yeah. if that's fair to say. Yeah. And so the lawyer said, like, this is great. I've never seen someone with more evidence that they've changed and they're not a danger to society. But I would warn you that this could take a while. The big thing I want you to watch out for is that you never hear without a visa. Mm. Because if it drags on and you hear an expired visa, they can deny you based on the argument that you're a current criminal because you stay in the country without a visa, which means you broke the law and we want to avoid that. So before my student visa was going to expire, I went and said like, oh, like you haven't answered yet. Can I have like a new visa to remain in the country? And they're like, no, 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 no. You, you don't need a visa to remain in the country. You have an open Aliyah application. That means you're good. I said, that's great that you'll say that. Can you put that in writing? Mm-hmm. My lawyer said, I need. They said, sure, no problem. They went, they got a document, put a nice fancy stamp on it. It was all in Hebrew. So I had no idea what it really said mm. and went on my way. And then a few weeks later, I was scheduled to go to Hungary for a workshop on like relaxation and breathing techniques as far as like fitness. Went to getting out of the country was fine. On my way back, I'm at passport control. And I show my passport and the guy's like, oh, you overstayed your visa last time. I said, no, 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 no. I've got a pending all the application. Here's the letter they gave me. Takes the letter, reads it, presses the button, says something really quick in Hebrew and says, can you please go to the back? So I go to the back and I'm immediately detained and interrogated for about five hours. Five hours? And the border control agent who interrogated me made it abundantly clear that my document said I have a pending ALA application. There is no law that says that if you have a pending ALA application, you don't need a visa. I always need to have a visa. If I'm ever in a country without a visa again, I should expect to be deported. And after that, he did give me another three-month tourist visa while I waited for the ally response. Came back into the country. During this three-month period, my wedding was scheduled. And so we decided not to worry about it until after the wedding because planning a wedding, it turns out, is a lot of work. Yes, it is. <laughs> a, a little bit stressful. <laughs> 
got through the wedding in Beersheba. It was absolutely beautiful. And then got back to working on the Aliyah thing. Can I just interject for our reader, our readers, our listeners, because there's an important piece that you've said there that people might not realize. And that is your ability as a Jew to marry a Jew in Israel. Because that says a lot about, that says that's, a lot. That's going to come out. Okay. That comes okay. Up so actually, I'm jumping the gun. That plays a major role okay. All right. in the story okay. relatively soon. <laughs> okay. All right. Then continue. I was jumping the gun. All right. Yeah. My bad. Yeah. <laughs> continue, please. Yeah. So I go and say my visa is going to expire. They say, oh, well, before your Aliyah application is answered, we need to give you an interview. They schedule me for an interview. I show up to the interview and the interview was probably worse than the interrogation. Are you kidding me? It started off pretty quickly with, you know, how could you be a convert? You don't look like a convert. Oh. And kind of went down to where they're like, oh, you know, you have a criminal record. Like, how could your wife's parents be happy she married you? Did they even come to your wedding? Wow. It was a pretty intense And offensive. Yes. And then at the end, they said that the Ministry of the Interior needs to answer about your file personally. Here is another tourist visa to stay in the country. And if you're going to answer before this expires, come back and we will extend the visa. Now, here is another interesting side note. At the time, the Minister of the Interior was R.E.A. Day, who also happens to be a convicted criminal. Okay. Yeah. So his story is, you know, a while ago, as Minister of the Interior, he was convicted of corruption and bribery, things like that, found guilty, sent to prison, and served his prison sentence, came out of prison, did a cooling off period, re-entered politics, and ended up back in the position of Minister of the Interior. Oh, so let's see. He wasn't canceled, even though his crimes actually were likely to endanger public welfare, and he wasn't canceled. And he was allowed back (laughs) into the exact same place where he had committed the crimes. Oh, okay. It's like, oh, okay, we know you robbed the bank, but we're going to bring you back and here are the keys. Anyways, continue. And we didn't know if this was a good thing or a bad thing, because on the one hand, we thought like, oh, like if anyone understands that you shouldn't be punished forever for your crimes and change is possible, he should understand. Yes. And but on the other hand, sometimes people are just worried about getting theirs and not helping other people, regardless of how similar the situation is. And we just never know. To be honest, we still don't really have a good answer to that question. Right. But what we do know is that I didn't get an answer for another three months, which meant I had to come back to renew my visa again. Wow. And this time I come back to renew my tourist visa. So remember at this point, I'm in the country for six months with a tourist visa, which means I can't work. I'm married. My wife is pregnant. I'm just waiting for an answer. And I actually have a job waiting for me to start the day I get citizenship, which I've told them for. Right. And I think that's when I first heard your story, because I remember those words that you said about wife being pregnant and um, the, I think the person who had hired you ha- actually had made a statement saying that you, that they could not find anybody else to do this role. You were the person for this role. Yes. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. And I come back in and they say, we can't renew your visa. And they said, the reason why is because if your application is denied, we don't want you to stay in the country for a day longer. But don't worry, as long as you have a pending all application, you're allowed to stay in the country. What's, okay, so hold <laughs> up, hold up. All right, I, I can't, I got to unpack some of this. So they said they can't give you the tourist visa because if your Aliyah application is denied, then they don't want you in the country one day longer. Is that what you're saying? Correct. So, That's what they told so me. you can't even be a tourist is what they're essentially saying, right? You can't yeah. even be a regular tourist. And then they said that same tired line about don't worry. 
you have yeah. an open oh god anyways yeah yep. to which i told them like hey border control made it abundantly clear to me that that's not true mm-hmm. my lawyer has checked into it it's not true and what they told me was it's not our responsibility to show you where in the law that is it's your responsibility to find it Wow, that's a that's you know what? For people listening, they might be like, damn. And I, I'm listening, I'm like, wow, no, that's a typical Mizrahi Hapneem response. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the law doesn't exist. It does, and it's your responsibility. You to find, find it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so that's when we really started fundraising, just getting the story out there. Kind of it was very clear at this point that like we're having problems and I just wanted to get citizenship and support my family and live a mm-hmm. Jewish life in Israel. So we started GoFundMe, which was very successful. Yeah, we get a bunch of people interested in the story and we get people starting to inquire. And then we finally get our first official response from the Ministry of the Interior. Turns out I've got some mutual friends with former member of Knesset, Michael Oren. Oh, and he nice. put in... Mm-hmm. A request about my file mm-hmm. and they responded to him and they basically told him like it's taking so long because we've got to investigate his criminal record and if he was worried about being in the country illegally without a visa he should have applied from abroad and so full of it. and that was it and then so we keep fighting and eventually we get a response Now, I should go back and mention something I forgot to mention earlier about my meeting with the lawyer. Mm -hmm. One of the things that he said was that, like, oh, and your Jewish status is ironclad because you have an Orthodox conversion with an Orthodox rabbi from abroad that is the best piece of evidence you could have of being Jewish. Right. And when they finally responded to my Ali application, they didn't mention the criminal record at all. They said, I was denied because my conversion was unacceptable and gave no explanation about what was unacceptable about it, which completely shocked us. I remember when I read that and I was shocked out of my seat. Especially because I'd gotten married through the rabbit newt. Exactly. Exactly. Because we know, we know how stringent the rabbit newt is when it comes to Orthodox conversions, because that's what they, that's what they have to either, you know, say yay or nay to. And if Mm. they said he is Jewish, let me rephrase it, Jewish enough to get married in Israel. There is no question There is no doubt. And there's actually a very interesting moral and legal problem that they have with this. That was most recently demonstrated by one of our gold medal winners. So Mm -hmm. we had a guy win a gold medal in rhythmic gymnastics for the state of Israel. Yes. Yeah. He made Aliyah with his family. They were eligible because his father is Jewish, but his mother was not Jewish. And... With one Jewish parent, you can make Aliyah. Because again, the standards for Aliyah, they say it's based on Hitler standards for a Jew. If you have one Jewish grandparent, you can make Aliyah. You're good to go. (laughs) Yeah. But in the state of Israel, only Orthodox, actually only religious marriages exist. Exactly. So if you're Christian, you can get a Christian marriage. If you're Muslim, you can get a Muslim marriage. And if you're Jewish, you can only get an Orthodox Jewish marriage. There's no conservative Jewish marriages, no Reformed Jewish marriages, no civil marriages. If you're Jewish, an Orthodox marriage you can get. So someone like him with a Jewish father and non-Jewish mother is considered Jewish, can live in the country, but Mm -hmm. can't marry anyone in the state of Israel ever for any reason. Exactly. And people in that situation literally have to fly outside the country. Cyprus is a a favorite destination. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Get a civil marriage, which the state of Israel will recognize. They just don't offer them in Israel if they want to get married. Mm -hmm. So especially with like the Russian immigrants and descendants, a lot of them were mixed in enough that they're not halakhically or orthodoxly Jewish. So they're allowed to come. They're welcomed in and then Mm -hmm. told, can't marry anyone yes 
Yeah. So yeah. I passed that test, which is a much higher bar. It, it is a high, high bar. Yes. And then the letter said one last thing, which we thought was really interesting, which was even though I'm denied because my conversion's unacceptable, I'm invited to apply for status based on my relationship. It's like they were trying to go out of their way not to acknowledge you as a Jew, yeah. even though the rabbinute said you're a yeah. Jew. And the wording is very interesting. So we decide that we check with the lawyers. They say applying to get status through your wife won't affect your aliyah at all. You can do that. And then this makes us think that they will apply it and give you a work visa. You can at least work while you fight this long protracted battle, which is clear you have ahead of you. So we fill up the application and we come in and we get in, they start looking at the documents and they go, sorry, you can't do this. And we're like, what? Like you can't apply through status through marriage because the Ministry of the Interior only accepts civil marriages for status questions in the country, meaning that your Orthodox religious wedding, which is the only type of wedding available in the state of Israel, is no good for this process. But don't worry, this is good proof you're Jewish. You should just apply for Aliyah. Oh, gosh. (laughs) (laughs) And then did you say, don't worry, I have an open. (laughs) My lawyer at that point flipped out reasonably because like, so you're saying the state of Israel will accept a Israeli marriage of any kind, because that's what the law says. And it turns out that that's what the law says. Yeah. So then we go back to trying to get people to help beyond the scenes. It's like, oh, the marriage isn't good because it's Israeli. The marriage proves I'm Jewish, but they're saying that I'm not Jewish and won't explain why. And so we submit the appeal, which it said we have the right to. We had a 21-day limit to submit the appeal. I submitted it within the 21-day period. And by law, they have 45 days to answer that appeal. It ended up taking about two years to get that answer. And by law, they have 45 days. Yes. Which, of course, they didn't pay attention to, but they expect you to pay attention to when they say this is the law. But I I digress. Yeah. (laughs) So we do that, waiting on the response, and eventually someone in a contact at the Jewish agency gets someone in Mishra Panim, and they come to an agreement. And the agreement is that they will give me a work visa based on being in an unmarried relationship to an Israeli citizen, as long as I'm willing to write out on a document that I'm getting this visa based on being in an unmarried relationship with an Israeli citizen. I'm just, I'm gobsmacked. It doesn't even make sense. The way the Jewish agency told me that they wanted to handle this was that, okay, we'll get this visa. Then we'll fight to get them to accept your marriage. And then we'll fight to get them to accept your Jewish status. Like that's like our plan of action. So I wrote out the document and got a visa based on being in an unmarried relationship with an Israeli citizen. Important to note here that, again, with a legal marriage, my wife did change her status in Israel to married as she's required to by law. That's going to come up later in the story again, though. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So we do it, and then the Jewish agency gets stuck. And here is why they're saying they're getting stuck. They told me, like, we talked to the Ministry of the Interior. They said, your conversion is fine. The problem is your criminal record. And therefore, as the Jewish agency, who actually has the right to decide who's Jewish for Aliyah, and legally, they were supposed to check with the Jewish agency, but didn't and decide on their own. So Jewish agency is like, we can't help you. I said, but I've got this official document that says the problem is my conversion. And I'm saying, like I said in the document, the reader goes, yeah, it does clearly state that. Let's go back and figure out what's happening. So Mm -hmm. they go back and they come back and they go, okay. So what they're saying is that the problem is your criminal record. Your conversion is fine. They can't give us any more information about what's going on because your case is sensitive because of the criminal record. They can only give the information to you. So I said, great. So when are they going to tell me what's going on? They say, well, they won't meet with you. They won't call with you. And they're not going to write you another letter. 
I'm like, <laughs> so they won't Sorry. tell you because they could only tell me, but they won't tell me. <laughs> wow. So then that's when the Jewish agency got stuck. So now time is passing. I'm continuing to work and we're still trying to get them to answer the appeal, which they have 45 days to answer. Uh, like the best story about that is we went to the ombudsman because, you know, job it is to make sure that the government follows the law. They said, yeah, like they've got 45 days to answer. Let's figure out what's going on. They sent in an inquiry. They didn't get a response back either. And they basically <laughs> told us, they're like, yeah, they're not responding to us. We're not quite sure they're what busy. to do <laughs> when they don't respond. Like, what is the next step? And like, wow. you want me to tell you the next step? This is the purpose of your office. <laughs> yeah. And so eventually we decide like, okay, if we were married, we would get a better visa and I get an ID card, which would make my life a lot easier. Like that mm-hmm. sweet national health insurance you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> if I got a visa through being married, I would get that mm-hmm. and pay, you know, $5 a month in insurance. But instead, because I got a visa based on being unmarried, I'm paying like $200 a month for health insurance. Yikes. Yikes. Yeah. How so, is your? Can I ask you a question though? How is your wife through all of this? She handled it very well. Is handling it still very well? Wow, because it could not be easy because she's in it and probably also feels a sense of powerlessness and yeah, is I mean, just hoping for the best. Kind of like a full time, like all the time, like we get like a new connection. They want all these documents. I've read them out. You have to translate it. We have to do these calls. It's like a full-time job fighting the ministry and we did everything we could to try to get an answer and just everything fell flat wow yeah so we decided to go my wife is also american citizen so her family made aliyah from america when she was five so she's a dual citizen okay we decided that we'll go to america get a civil marriage they say they recognize civil marriages and they can get the better visa and then we can keep the fight going on the better visa fly to America, get a civil marriage, come back. And we go in and first we like, I argue with them. And I finally, two years after the fact, get them to respond to the appeal where they basically say like, oh, it's unacceptable because it's unacceptable. That's it. That's, that's the response. Yeah. And it also required a lot to give reasons as to why things are unacceptable. But as I'm sure you can tell by this point in the story, they don't have to follow the law. They clearly don't. You know, it's like, why? Because I told you so. (laughs) It's that kind of answer. It's because I told you so. And then so we go, okay, let's get the new visa with our civil marriage. Mm -hmm. And here is like the icing on the cake. So we try to start the application process for getting the status in the country based on being married to an Israeli citizen through our civil marriage in America. And we're in the office. They said, yes, you can do it. They're entering things in the computer. And all of a sudden, the woman pauses, confused, tries something, pauses, starts making phone calls, running and talking to the manager. We're there for a long time. We're like, what's happening? And eventually, she's like, we can't do this. And we're like, what do you mean you can't do it? And she's like, here is the problem. She is married to you with your Israeli marriage. Therefore, our computer system won't let us put you as married to her through this new civil marriage because she's already married to you. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. If I wasn't hearing it, I'd be like, and if I didn't have a sense of how frustrating the bureaucracy there is, I'd be like, shut up. You know what <laughs> it's like? <laughs> right? Hmm. So then. Yeah, so then I can't get married through our civil marriage and get a brother visa because my wife's already married to me. And that would be the shocking. Big... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And this one, though, gets us the most news coverage because it is just so it's ludicrous. <laughs> it's ludicrous. Like I said, it's like it's like Twilight Zone-ish. It's like and even no matter how many times you say it out loud, there is no sense coming from that statement. It's like I can't do this marriage because 
I'm already married to the person that I'm trying to record that I'm married to. Like it just, no matter how many times you say it, it's like, it's just dumb. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You <laughs> can't like, like how could a situation like this occur? It's just, it's dumb. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. And that media coverage eventually ended up with two front page articles on the Jerusalem Post, one of the major English language newspapers. And one of the news stations, Khan, did a video segment on me, which according to them, got like over a half million views. Yeah, because people also needed to hear, this can't be real. We got to hear this. <laughs> yeah. like, no, what do you mean? It's not a sitcom. Not, it's not a drama. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's real life. All kidding aside, like I don't, I, I, I know I'm like kind of teasing about it, but it's actually horrific. Because yep. it is your life and it is your the life of you, your wife, your children. Yeah, and it's, like, it's not even like, it's not funny. It's offensive. Yeah. It impacts upon everything you do. And from what, I don't know, you can correct me, but it must be horrible to have this feeling of instability and yes. wonder I, I going day to day wondering. And, you know, at any moment, like, are you, are you afraid of like, they'll just say, you know what, get out. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely possible. Yeah. So then finally, with all that news coverage, they relent and say, we're willing to recognize your conversion as valid. Mm -hmm. So we figure that's the end of the story because we knew from the beginning that they started this process by investigating the criminal record and then decided this conversion thing. We somehow got stuck on the conversion issue for over two years. Like, it's over. And then they say, so now we need to investigate your criminal record. Do you, why do you think this is happening to you? Does it, and does it feel like they're just looking for excuses? It 100% feels like they're just looking for excuses. It's just kind of every time there is a law that would help move me closer, they can completely ignore it. On the other hand, when there's a law, no matter how ridiculous it is, it help move me forward. Like all of a sudden it's like, oh no, this Israeli marriage isn't good in Israel. <laughs> yeah, wow. <sighs> so why do you think this is happening to you? And has I it, because I've never heard of this happening to anybody else. Have you? No, so why no. do you think it's happening to you? I think when they see someone who looks like me and I've got a criminal record. They think that this is the type of person that no one cares about and no one's going to stand up for. So there's no consequences for us based on how we treat him. And that goes back again to what I talked about in the Council Culture article about just no one working towards like, oh, there's this like one third of African-American males end up with a felony and they're stigmatized for life. And like, if we had half the energy that was fighting, you know, microaggressions on Twitter, protesting about that, if we had protests in the streets, like we did for Black Lives Matter, about people not able to get jobs because they have a felony and making the system rehabilitative instead of punitive, the situation would be a lot better, but just we're kind of this forgotten group. Oh my gosh. It hurts my heart because, you know, I talk about how people feel about Israel and the reality of Israel, um, you know, milk and honey versus, I don't even know what the opposite would be of milk and, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? And then, but the other thing is, is it's our homeland. And yeah. so when you see and hear these stories about how they, how a fellow member of the family is being treated in our home it hurts our soul and more people should be up in arms about this and you know it's 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 painful and just one of the tenets of us as Jews is that whole concept of shuva and you know and the concept of growing and changing and 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 they've totally disregarded that yeah. And they're holding you to who you are. They're holding you to someone you aren't anymore. 
And there's, won't tell me what I need to do to get past it and make it impossible for me to get past it. But, but, but doesn't that go against what should, doesn't that go against who we are as a Jewish people, who they should be as a Jewish state? I believe it does. I believe it directly contracts a lot of our fundamental Jewish values. We think about how many times in the Torah it says, don't oppress the stranger because you were strangers. Like if anyone should know better than to act like this, it is the Jewish state. Exactly. Exactly. So where do we stand today? What is today, you know, Mm. right now, where are you? Where do you sit in all of this? So that new investigation in my criminal record, Uh the solution is they said they'll put me on a trial period. At the end of the trial period, I'll get citizenship. What are they looking for in the trial? What do they They think you're going to do? They won't say anything about what they're looking for. This is ridiculous. Or how long it will be. And what are they looking for? They're looking for you to do what? Continue your life working, raising your children, enjoying your family? Like, what is it that they think is going to happen? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So a trial period. Okay, I guess, you know, baby steps forward, I suppose. I mean, again, like if at the beginning of this process, they'd said, you have a criminal record, we want you to have one year, we'll give you a visa to work and see how it works out. That had been completely fair and reasonable. Yeah, exactly. We're now, you know, three and a half years into this process. I think you've completed your trial. Yeah, I would say so. But yeah. instead, I have this trial. And again, when's it going to end? And We're what's now the outcome? Hit, we hit this point where I've got to renew my visa. And so right now I'm talking with the lawyers about trying to make the argument that the trial period shouldn't be longer than the one-year visa period, especially since I've been here for so long already. Exactly. You have done your trial. You have You have done your trial that no other Jew has to do. No other Jew has to do. The law doesn't say you can make Aliyah, but there's a trial period. No, while we see if you, while we see if you can act right, mm. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> right? Oh yeah. my gosh! Well, thank you for sharing. Um, my hope is this story. We need to spread it far and wide. We need to spread it far and wide so that they a do right by you, and so that this doesn't happen to other people. Yeah. You know, that we remember who we're supposed to be as a people and who we're supposed to be as a Jewish state. Mm. Mm-hmm. And also one thing, so I recently had a letter to the new Ministry of the Interior it was published in the Jerusalem Post. And kind of the thing I point out there is just like, Israel has such bad optics already. Like, why do something like this to embarrass us further and just make us look like we have people accusing us of being a racist state when we don't act racist? Like, why are we giving them more reasons to yeah. say we are? 100%. It's giving, it's giving an air. It absolutely is. It's a very hard thing for, you know, for people like me to say, you know, I believe that da 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 and it's not a rate. And then they will say, but but look at David Ben Moshe. He ticked off all the boxes. So you're going to sit here, Rivka, and tell me it's not a racist state when he's ticked off all the boxes. So you tell me why he can't he can't he can't um, get his citizenship. It is. It's embarrassing. And it does make it look like it makes it look like we're speaking out of both sides of our mouths. Right. So we need to they need to fix this. They need to fix it. It's been what, three years, four years, three. So I arrived in the country in 2017. Okay. I've been in 2017. So it's been, you know, four years. Yeah, that's a long time. Four years, one wife, two children later. (laughs) 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 But overall, you do love the country, don't you? I've seen your pictures, your hikes, your, you know, uh, yeah, you, I know you, you love the I would say Israel isn't a perfect country, but it is still a great country. And there's a lot of things that need to be fixed. And one of the things I'm working on doing now is helping to fix some of these things to make Israel live up to the standards that the Jewish state should be living up to. Wonderful. Wonderful. You know, despite what you've been put through, that A says a lot about you. And it does say 
it does say a lot about Israel in that you are saying it is such a beautiful country. It is worth the effort to make us who we should be. You're not just saying, you know what? I'm out. <laughs> I'm out. Because <laughs> many would, many would be like, really? I'm out. <laughs> back to Canada, back to US, <laughs> back to England. I'm out. But you're uh, not saying that at all. You see, you see the beauty, you see the importance, and you see. I mean, this is our home. Exactly. As Jews, this is our home. Exactly. And if we can't just complain about from afar, we can come and make it better and make it live up to those standards. Because that's what you do with something you love yes right so on on that note david thank you thank thank you. you um i wish all the best obviously i want the perfect resolution when i come and visit you in israel you need to show me your i guess your two dots that would reflect that you are a citizen no passport passport i'm like what is it because i'm like yeah it's it's one of the confusing things people are like oh you have citizenship yeah yeah and i remember everybody yeah and and people can get one you can get a resident one you can get yeah yeah. so let's say i stand corrected when i come to visit you in israel god willing next year amen i want to see the passport amen to show me the passport so all the best all the best to you and your family and thank you i am so impressed with your strength and your courage to go through this because it's a lot and obviously you are an incredible person and thank you for sharing your story and i will be sharing it far and wide thank you you're welcome you take care you too Thanks for listening. Our producer is Michael Freeman, music by Westside Gravy, and I am Rivkush. If you enjoyed this episode, you can hear more at the cjn.ca slash Rivkush. If you want to support the CJN, join the CJN Circle. You will get quarterly magazines, invitations to live events, and a weekly printable edition. Learn more at the cjn.ca slash circle. Thanks for listening.